Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing consistency. And we're going to be discussing this in two major ways. Um, first of all, we're going to be con- uh, discussing consistency of play or consistency of um, somebody's strokes, uh, managing to stay consistent, managing to keep enough balls in play, managing to continue a rally, play, play defense. Um, you know, put pressure on our opponents through our consistency. So that'll be one piece of it. And then another piece of it will be the consistency of effort, the consistency of, um, of practice, the consistency of continuing to put in the work day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, et cetera. Um, and the marginal gains and that, um, that, you know, that, that feeling of, continuing to get 1% better each time that you're out there and really having that as the goal. Um, and, and I think, you know, when I think about this concept, I know this, you know, both of these pieces are things that we've definitely touched upon uh, in past episodes and past conversations. However, we haven't necessarily had an episode devoted to this concept. Um, and, you know, I, I think for, for in both of these ways, uh, consistency can have a lot to do with success um, both in the short term in terms of within a match um, and in the long term in terms of continuing to become a better and better player over time. Um, and that's why we wanted to dive into this topic today. Yeah, and I think another thing we could add, Josh, into this, it just as you were speaking, kind of occurred to me is that what are the some of the barriers to consistency or striving to be consistent in certain things? What are some of the challenges that will come up? So I think that's an, an important aspect of it. Um, but I think it's a great topic because there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of benefits with being consistent on the court, off the court. Um, there might even be some uh, misconceptions as to what consistency is on the court, especially. And I think we want to get into that a little bit so that um, Consistency doesn't just mean that you're a grinder and someone who likes to play long points. There's there's more to it than that. So I think this is a really great topic because a lot of stuff flows from being consistent with effort, being consistent in in how you execute, being consistent with your habits. Um, some of this certainly would go back to our episode on on discipline, um, and certainly consistency is an element of being disciplined, but we didn't necessarily address it from this, from this angle. So I think it's a really good, 
really good topic. So how about we start with um, consistency on the court? Yes, yeah, sounds great. And I think, um, as you brought up, Brian, it's there are definitely some misconceptions with the idea that if, if a player is consistent and is able to make a lot of balls on the court, that that means that they necessarily play in, in one playing style. You know, this this idea of a consistent player necessarily being a grinder or a counterpuncher or a pusher even, um, and maybe, you know, some certain negative connotations. Um, and yes, in, in some cases, you know, players that are consistent might fall into those traps. And I think my I, myself, I have definitely fallen into that at, at times in terms of, you know, I, I think I've always been more on the consistent side, or, you know, more on the consistent side rather than the aggressive side. And I think sometimes, especially when maybe I haven't been playing my best, I have sort of fallen into that sort of counterpuncher or even pusher side of things where I've um, just really stopped going for my shots and just started making, tried to make shots in the court rather than going for it. So I think that's definitely, you know, I think we want to be able to differentiate between players that are consistent and, and really are able to um, put a lot of pressure on their opponents through that sort of relentless ability to make balls in the court. And that, again, that can look different ways for different players um, from somebody who solely relies on that. And that's maybe the, the only um, the only thing that they're trying to do, which again, can, can I think happen to anybody um, on, on certain days where maybe things aren't going well or when, when they're really committed to that game plan of just trying to make balls in the court. But I think when we look at a lot of the top players in the world, and, and maybe all of them, you could say, anyone who's gotten to that you know, top 100, let's just say, the ATP or WTA tours, in order to get there, they have to have a certain level of consistency within their games. And I, I know we maybe look at certain players, um, maybe on the women's side, like uh, Sabalenka, for instance, or Kazakina, um, or, you know, maybe players on the, on the men's tour that are, you know, extremely aggressive as well, maybe like a Carlos Alcaraz or um, a, a number of different players that, that really rely on their aggressive play and take chances. However, they are also extremely consistent. And you can find points of them playing extremely long rallies and, you know, practice points of them, you know, grinding and rallying for 20, 30, 40 shots. Um, and I think the, the point here is that one of, one of the points here is that by putting that pressure on our, our opponents by not missing, you know, or reliably making more shots in the point, it, more more shots, you know, w within a point, we we manage to not beat ourselves in that same way. Where if you are missing that first shot or second shot, third shot after the serve or return more often, then you're not necessarily allowing your opponent to to make mistakes to miss you're not necessarily giving them the time to do that um, so i think by being consistent one of the main attributes here is you, you're not be, you're not beating yourself in that same kind of a way yeah for sure and i think um perhaps when we talk about game style consistency is um Maybe a mislabel of what we're trying to do. Maybe it's um, because, yes, as an aggressive player, 
you want to be consistent. And I think that gets to the point you're trying to make here, which is we're not giving points away. We're minimizing our errors. We are, in fact, raising our rate of execution. So if I'm a very aggressive player and I have a big serve, um, I might measure my consistency in my game around the number of times I'm able to successfully execute my serve plus one play. So that's different than me engaging in, you know, 15, 20 ball rallies. It's about a rate of execution. Uh, You know, what percentage of the time am I able to do that? If it's 10%, that's that's poor. That's not consistent. But if I'm able to execute that 70, 80% of the time, now I've established some consistency to to what I do. Um, This topic makes me think about Coach Bill Tim, and even also you know all the way back to Bill Tilden, about how one develops a player, and then subsequently into a champion. And um, there really are kind of like five basic things that we're we're teaching players that we would progress through. I did not invent these, but I, I did write about these in a in a blog post called "How to Earn the Win," and this also re- uh, relies a little bit on Coach Bill Tim's progression that he calls cap, um, which is about consistency, accuracy, power, and kind of how you progress through that. But really, your five basic tools as a player are consistency, directionals, your accuracy with targets, depth, placement, spin, and power. And that's a great progression to learn the game as well. To begin with consistency. So even these players that you're talking about, Josh, who are very aggressive on the pro tour, if you just wanted to have a rally with them, they could keep the ball in the court as long as they wanted to. So they have a foundation of consistency. That may not be how they choose to play in terms of style. But if you just wanted to rally with them or practice with them, they're not missing every third shot wide or in the net or, or, or somewhere, they are able to do that. So every top player has that base of consistency. Um, and that's super important because it, it builds confidence in your, in your abilities. Um, you know that you're a good player because you can keep the ball in. You're not losing the match. Um, if you have to go back to that as the only weapon you've got working on a particular day, you can do it. Um, I think directionals and accuracy are are nice extensions of consistency, but they are the next level up. So, you know, being able to put the ball in a particular direction that you want, to put the ball in a particular space that you want. And if you think about the more aggressive player, they're using a lot more of their directionals and accuracy, just like a, a grinder would be. But then they layer in spin, they layer in more power, and, and that's where they develop themselves. But there's a consistency to their base and there's a consistency to their rate of execution in terms of how they play. So I like to use this sort of progression also as a way of warming up for a match. Let's first just build some consistency. If we're, you and I are rallying from the baseline, let's simply work on at first just getting the ball over the net keeping it sort of down the middle and giving each other a rhythm. And once we have established that, okay, let's start focusing in on hitting specific spots. We might still make it down the middle, but let's even set up a cone. Let's try to 
dial into that. And then the more that we get dialed into that, okay, let's start layering in a little bit more pace. Or maybe we take up the tempo. We move in a little bit so we can create some of that. And of course, power and tempo will corrupt to a certain extent your ability to be consistent and to be accurate. So you maybe dial that down, but you're going to play around with that. It's a great way to warm up because now you feel like you're in a rhythm. You're hitting through the ball. You're hitting to where you want it to go. You're hitting at match pace by the time that you're that you're done. Um, so I think consistency is a great base. It's a great way to look at any style of play in terms of rates of execution versus versus meaning it's a grinder. Um, but we should all strive to have levels of consistency with with what we do on the court relative to our, our own game style. Absolutely. And I think I, I like the way that you describe that. And I think, you know, for, for any sort of player, you can do a lot on the practice court to measure that consistency. We talk about with goals, um, you know, if we're thinking about goals using the SMART goal um, acronym, um, you know, one, one of the key components there is measurable, right? So what can we do during practice to measure how consistent we are with certain aspects of our game? Can we measure our serve? Okay, what percent of my first serves am I making? What percent of my second serves am I making? Do we have a, a real idea of that, right? Just like if you're watching a match on TV, if you're watching the pros, they will say what their first and second serve percentages or maybe, you know, how many times somebody's double faulting per set per match. Um, you should have at least a rough idea of what that, that looks like. You know, I, th- I think sometimes I'll have conversations with players and we'll talk about how the pros will make on their first serve, maybe between uh, generally between maybe 55 to 70% of their first serves. Um, and I think, you know, most club players, it's a lot lower than that. They're relying a lot more on their second serve. So that lack of consistency uh, ends up ends up meaning that the player has to rely a lot more on that second serve, has to hit a lot more second serves under pressure, um, and the the numbers don't exactly work out in that way because most players win less than fifty percent of their second serve. So you're expecting to hold serve while relying on your second serve, where where players generally win less than fifty percent of their serves. So I think the serve is one area that we can really measure consistency also patterns right maybe there's a certain pattern of play that an aggressive player likes to use maybe it's the serve and the serve plus one where they try to get into the net so maybe they're they're hitting their first serve and they're trying to really set up their forehand to try to come into the net to try to finish the point so can you measure what that the consistency of that during practice can you set up practice points with a coach or with a practice partner where you're really trying to work on specific patterns and trying to measure it, trying to keep track of how it goes when, when trying to work on these things rather than, and, and I think what that does is that also brings a lot more intention to practice rather than, okay, I'm just trying to go out there and uh, play aggressively, or I'm just trying to go out there and play consistently. This adds a lot more intention. This by having even the process goal of, I want to play points in this specific particular way um you you know that that's really where your focus is while you're out there practicing rather than okay i'm just trying to 
to win points. I'm just trying to play well. I'm trying to focus on this specific thing. And this specific thing, this specific pattern, or me making this specific percentage of first serves leads to greater consistency. And I think that's true of, you know, regardless of what your playing style is, you want to be able to execute on your patterns and on, on your, on, you know, on the types of points that, that you play best in a more and more consistent way over time. And I think uh, something you can do in practice to go along with that, Josh, is understand what are the barriers to being consistent or having a high rate of execution in matches um, and being then able to address that in some practice situations. You mentioned the first serve percentage. That's a great area to understand why might I be able to execute serves very well in practice and not so much in in a match, in some competitive environment. So the more self-awareness that we have on what are our own personal barriers to to consistency, the more we can start to, to deal with that. Um, but there, there are a lot of different distractions that can occur that in some ways, lack of consistency can be looked at as a reaction to stress and pressure. You might be tricked into thinking, I need to go for this shot down the line in this particular moment rather than finding the middle or finding cross court shot. Um, you might feel the pressure of, uh, let's say your opponent is returning extremely well and, or is recovering off of that serve very well. And your, your plus one shot doesn't seem to be having as much of an effect. You go for more there, uh, thus maybe lowering your rate, of execution on that. So there are a lot of things that are sort of outside of your control that you may be reacting to that have some impacts on your ability to be consistent with your particular game plan. Do you understand those? Do you understand what those are? So that you can work them into uh, perhaps perspectives or match play situations that you can um, work on in, in practice so that you are re- executing at a high rate, regardless of the circumstance, the score, whatever else could be going on, um, and you become sort of more impervious to those things. So it's, it's really hard, but I think there are, there are going to be different barriers to our ability to be consistent in matches. Um, and oftentimes it's the opponent, what the opponent is doing. And for us not to you know, lose the discipline for how we play and what we do and and make poor choices mentally, uh, physically with our games so that um, we don't start just responding to the stress rather than kind of reaffirming what we do uh, well and, and to, you know, commit to doing that more consistently or at a higher rate of execution. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that there's a lot that we can do to both try to sort of sabotage our opponent's consistency. Um, and, you know, we, we had an episode with Jorge Capistani where, where we talked about some of these sabotage tactics. But, you know, there's different things that, that you as a tennis player can do, whether it's changing the pace, you know, not allowing your opponent to fall into a rhythm where you're constantly hitting at the same pace, but maybe you're hitting harder, maybe you're taking some pace off the ball, maybe you're hitting with more or less spin or mixing up top spin and slice, 
Maybe you're changing the height of the ball. Maybe you're moving your opponent side to side so they have a tougher time really setting their feet with each shot. Um, I think there's a lot that we can do to try to sabotage our opponent's consistency. And then, yeah, I think you're bringing up a good point that we want to, you know, as we think more about this this topic, we want to think about, you know, within a match, what are some of the barriers that get in our way of being consistent? And I think, um, yeah, I think some of the nerves or pressure of the moment can definitely get in, in our way. You know, I think sometimes it's that expectation that we have to hit winners or that we think that our opponent's not going to miss. So we have to be the one to really take that chance to make it happen rather than continuing to play a little bit more high percentage, hitting over the higher part, sorry, hitting over the lower part of the net, hitting into, you know, hitting cross court, uh, playing the percentages a little bit more. We, I think, yeah, sometimes wind up in this place where we think we have to hit to, you know, small slices of the court to be effective. And that, of course, that, that tends to be very low percentage and, and can cause a lot of errors and can, you know, really cause our consistency to drop. Um, and I think even within practice, um, there could be a lot of factors that impact our consistency, you know, including our environment, the people that we're around, um, what is that practice? How is that practice actually set up? Is that practice designed to try to increase consistency or is it, or are there other focuses, you know, other points of focus? And, you know, there's obviously other things that we want to be training during practice as well, but I think consistency and again, having ways to measure that um, should, should definitely be prioritized. Should definitely be one of those factors that, is better understood by players in terms of why they want to, you know, increase their own level of consistency, regardless of playing level. Um, but I think, you know, trying to think about what they're doing on the practice court and, you know, are they intentionally trying to play in ways, you know, play and practice in ways where they're increasing that um, makes it a lot more likely that they can, you know, that, that, that they're able to, transfer those skills to the match court when when they have to yeah i think another barrier and as you were talking this just came to mind i was speaking with uh, a college player uh this morning he plays in uh you know one of the northern states so they play a lot of indoor tennis and um although he certainly has the ability to grind but in some of these indoor clubs the courts are pretty fast so he's you know playing more of a a serve plus one type thing and and then trying to get into his opponent's service games. And he had a great match this weekend and he, he, he said something that was interesting, Josh. He's like, Oh, you know, it was actually kind of just like boring tennis. <laughs> and, but he didn't mean it like in a bad way, but he just sort of noticed it was just sort of, yeah, I hit my serve spot and then I just hit my, I hit my plus one to, to the, to the big target. And, you know, and the point was basically over. And um, it was nothing spectacular. And I said to him, I said, yeah, a lot of times winning tennis is boring tennis. It does not have to be all these spectacular shots. That's in some ways one of the barriers here to being able to do that over the course of the match is your own ego. And thinking that I need to hit bigger, more spectacular shots, you probably don't. You probably could just be very kind of 
playing within your own limits and hitting your spots and ending up winning the match like he did. So he held serve extremely comfortably the whole match, which then took some pressure off and allowed him to be in his opponent's service games more. And that level of high rate of execution, he even noted, it was like one of the first things he said, I was serving really well, I was hitting my spots really well, and I noticed that that put my, that my opponent was thrown off by that. It automatically got him a little bit unsettled, and then that therefore put more pressure on him. So it's a great way to see how consistency and rates of execution are actually a tool to use against your opponent. Not only, you know, I think we were discussing this earlier, how consistency in this way can build locker room power, something we discussed with David Samuel. We've, we've brought that concept up many times. Um, but then also your consistency off the court is, is going to similarly contribute to your, to your locker room pro- power as a, as a professional. But this was a great just so, sort of story about how consistency, rates of execution – were a weapon on the mental side of the game against a, a very good opponent. I, I, I like that you're bringing that up. And I, I think what, what that makes me think about is the fact that generally when we think about, uh, when we think about a match, we remember some of the longer points. We remember the 10, 20 shot rally, uh, you know, I, I, thinking back to the, um, Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner match that just took place in Miami. And there was an unbelievable rally that, that Sinner ended up winning and he ended up winning the match. Um, but it was, you know, maybe a 20 shot rally or so, maybe even longer. Um, I, I could be wrong. Could have been shorter than that, but it was a, it was quite a, a rally, you know, one that one where you'll see the highlight reel of that. And you'll see that rally over and over again, whether it's on Instagram or whether it's on different places. Um, and those tend to be the points that we remember. However, the stats show that those points are very unusual. And uh, Craig, Craig O'Shaughnessy has done a lot of work in this area, really highlighting some of the statistics of the game, talking both at the professional level um, and at non-professional levels, including college, club level, juniors, and Approximately 70, 70% of points are four shots or less across levels. And that, that can be surprising for a lot of people. And maybe that's not true for every particular player, but in general, that, that is true. And what that means is that, you know, really we want, even for the, the player that's more of a counterpuncher, grinder type player, that those first couple of shots in the point are, are really the most important ones. Cause that's what most points really are. You know, we don't tend to remember those points where somebody hits a serve and the opponent tries to block it back and it goes into the net. Right. Uh, or we don't tend to remember those points where, you know, it's somebody serves and volleys and they win that point off the serve volley or their opponent tries to pass them and, and misses the pass. Um, we tend to remember those really long points. So, can we get to that point where we're really where we're increasing the consistency of our first few shots, whether that's our serve, whether that's our serve plus one, our return, our return plus one. I think returning is one of the great 
one of the main things that that's under practice, in fact, uh, you know, I, I think about the, the standard uh, tennis lesson and how much time is really tennis lesson or tennis clinic and how much time is devoted to the return of serve compared to the amount of time that we are hitting returns of serves in matches. And I think the same could be said actually of serving in a certain way. We play a lot of points and then it's like, okay, let's, let's take some serves sort of towards the end of the clinic or the end of the lesson. Um, and, you know, can we really be good at the beginning of the point at those first few shots, knowing that the, a, a large majority of points only have those shots. So the, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I think it connects to that conversation that you were talking about with, with that player, Brian, where, you know, it's that quote unquote boring tennis can be you being really good at how those points start. And I think if we think about the best players in the world, yes, they have those points where they're hitting unbelievable winners from all different parts of the court. Yes, every once in a while, they'll pull out this amazing tweener and we'll watch that highlight reel for, for years afterwards. But they are really good at their key patterns, their patterns of play that they're able to execute over and over and over and over again. And, you know, you can you can watch them and they're – most of the time they're they're keeping it simple and they are executing on their patterns those those patterns and we can think about what those patterns are for some of those top players right they they play to their strengths and they're able to really keep things simple and execute and i think that you know that 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 idea of execution on our patterns on our tactics and being able to consistently execute is often the, the difference between different types of you know between different levels of players what is your execution rate on this pattern? What is, you know, how well can you successfully, um, yeah, implement some of, some of your key strengths and, you know, tying two, three, four, five shots together in order to continue putting pressure on your opponent. And that is a certain level of consistency, right? Being able to put together those short patterns of just a few shots is again, it's a different type of consistency than um, somebody who's able to, you know, play a fifty-shot rally. But it's it's a very important level of consistency. And as I as I said, you know, that's really what a lot of matches come down to. It's those those shorter points at all levels. Even even those more consistent players, they still. And if you really were to break it down and really do the stats, they end up playing a lot of shorter points too. So I think it's can we be better at executing our playing style, whatever that is, in a more consistent manner? Yeah, and I think we've spent now a lot of time on <clears throat> the consistency at the performance level. But of course, there's another level below that that supports being able to perform with consistency. And I think that is a consistency in terms of effort, a consistency in your attitude, a consistency with your routines your rituals, all of the controllable behaviors, if you're able to perform those consistently over the course of a match through all the ups and downs. You know, we've talked you know, in our last episode about uh, suffering and how we want to be able to get through a match. Well, that's part of the barrier to being consistent in effort, attitude, footwork, routines is the ups and downs of a match. But that's really where 
consistency in performance, whether it's rates of execution or long points, comes from is your ability to be consistent at that lower level, the controllable behavior level. And if you're not consistent there, then that will come out at the performance level. So I think for all of us, we have to determine what are some of our key behaviors on the court that require us to be consistent. It may be slightly different for everybody, but I certainly think, say, you know, positive attitude, fighting, you know, fighting attitude, wanting to do the best you can, wanting to win, wanting to compete, certainly important. Effort level could be combined with that, um, you know, enjoyment, et cetera. Confidence, choosing to be confident, all of that. How we how we approach those controllable things and can we do them consistently throughout the ups and downs of a match, that's where you know we're going to establish a good foundation to perform consistently. Now, if you don't have that lower level, it's going to be difficult to support consistent performance um, in however style you choose to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we want to start thinking about our consistency in a a number of different areas. Um, You know, as we transition to sort of this side of the conversation where we think about our consistency of effort, our consistency of training, our consistency of habits. um, Do we have a game plan for what we want to do on match day? And can that look consistent? What do we want to, you know, how do we want to sleep? The night before match, is there a certain number of hours of sleep that we're trying to get? Um, what do we want to eat? Is there a certain period of time when we want to eat before a match? Is it you know a certain number of hours? What do we want to eat? And have we learned from our experience what works for us and what doesn't? Um, and the same goes with hydration. And you know, and the same goes with what we do on the practice court, right? Are we going into practice consistently? with clear process goals and clear intentions for what we want to do out there, or are we more so just going out there and trying to, trying to play well, um, you know, without sort of that, that key focus or key intention on what we're trying to work on. Uh, Are we, you know, when we think about what we do on a daily basis, are we able to, you know, replicate that, um, over time, over weeks, over months, over years, ultimately, um, you know, that's oftentimes these things that we, that we do that, that aren't as public or aren't seen as much can, can really make the difference in that, you know, we've talked about James Clear and Atomic Habits and other books on habits as well. And, you know, it really is, can we make each, each day, each day at practice, each day off the court as well, can we make small improvements? Can we try to get 1% better on the practice court? Can we try to improve our mental game in some small way? And can we be consistent about that? Can that 1% compound over time? I think it's, you know, that, that's the big difference, right? Whether it's us training our mental game and us trying to improve on that 1% each day or, you know, a bit each week and watching that compound over months or years or our game, right? Whether it's one specific shot that we're working on or a pattern or a certain playing style or playing with a new grip or whatever it is, 
can we put in the work on a, on a daily and weekly basis um, consistently without large gaps of time when we're not working on these things or without, you know, I think with a lot of players, they'll practice one thing one day and then, then maybe they get bored of it. And then the next day they're practicing something completely different. So rather than that, you know, can we really try to continue working on our tools and try to improve on, on each of them, you know, 1% each, each day. And I think, you know, I, I, I think back to times in my past where I was coaching on court and I think at some, I think players can get a little bit bored of some of these sorts of things, you know, bored of practicing their serve, bored of just, you know, practicing overheads, for instance, um, you know, bored of some of these maybe more simple, straightforward uh, shots or even tactics, maybe it's two or three shots. Um, but when we watch, if, we, if you ever watch the pros practice, you'll see that they are spending a lot of time on those fundamentals. They're spending a lot of time on each of their shots, fine-tuning them. You know, of course, they know how to hit a, a, a cross-court forehand. Right, of course they 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 wouldn't be at this level if they did, but they're still hitting that shot over and over again. They understand the difference between a couple of players at that highest level. It can be the the difference in terms of how often are they able to execute that, which is you know goes back to our our earlier portion of that conversation. So they're still putting in that work. They're still working on that shot every day. Um, so I think you know for everyone who's not at that level, continuing to to really practice the fundamentals and doing them well with, you know, full engagement, full focus, um, fully committing to hitting the shot right, to really making sure we're moving our feet, which I think is something that doesn't always happen on the practice court. Um, you know, by doing these little things right, these small details in the right way, we increase our chances of getting a bit better each time we're out there, getting that 1% better and, having those those efforts compound over time in really a in a quite a significant way compared to the player that puts in work some of the time and works on aspects of their game some of the time and then works on another aspect and doesn't consistently work on these different areas of their game that are necessary to getting to that next level right and i think that's where each one of us identifying what are the key behaviors for us, what are the key variables for us that we want to be consistent with day to day. Um, that, that's so important that, yeah, so that you can be working at a consistent level on those items across a, a longer period of time. And I want to address something you were saying, Josh, about the whole 1% improvement, because I think sometimes this is misconstrued in um, – that you can actually leave the court every day being able to perform 1% better than the day before. And there was some months ago, uh, some sports site professional wrote a sort of a rant on LinkedIn about how we should stop saying this. And um, because you can't. And, you know, he's right to a certain extent, but I think what he was wrong about, what my retort would be, is that. We're not talking about you always having to be 1% better in your performance level. But can you be 1% better with something you can control? Right? We don't have full control over our performance level. We have some influence on it. 
but we don't have full control. But could you bring a little bit more effort today? Could you work? Could you improve your hustle today? Could you improve your ability to watch the ball today or put more into that? So when we are talking about putting, you know, trying to get 1% better, don't think of it necessarily as, well, I'm going to, I should be getting better every single day. That's a, you can't necessarily control all of that, but you can control your performance at the, at the controllable level. So identifying those key variables for you and trying to bring a little bit more attention to that. So you can be a little, you know, 1% or more better at watching the ball, better at hustling, not letting any ball drop twice, uh, et cetera. So I wanted to bring that up because I think that's an important point to, to, to uh, emphasize here. And of course, you're right, Josh, a lot of um, top level training, there's a level of grind and tedium to it. But if you look at that as necessary work to hone your skills, to look at your skills as almost like your weapons on the court, and you're going into your workshop and you're just working on your game so that when you're able, when you go out to play, your tools are in a good place. You've built some confidence with it. You have built uh, some consistency and high rates of execution with it. So in this way, you're giving your practice, you're giving the cross-court forehand warm-up a little bit more purpose to it. Um, if you feel like you need to add some novelty or to add some challenge to it to stay engaged, then do so. But it really should be about these are my weapons, these are my tools, and I'm, I'm simply keeping them sharp or I'm trying to make some changes in them so that they can be more effective in the long term. Uh, if we start to get a little bit bored by that, th- there might be other factors in play. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you need to take a day off or something. But how do we re-engage with those key behaviors and under have the right perspective on the court of, oh, this drill is boring. Well, what's the purpose of it? Why do we do this? Give it purpose. Give it purpose so that you know why you're doing it and how it translates into performing well in competition so that you can execute at a high rate of consistency, at a high rate of performance. So I think the whole idea of what we're doing on the practice court, off the practice court, with our discipline and consistency and identifying the key behaviors that that help us to be that, that great competitor is really super important in the process. Absolutely. And I, I would I would make the argument that, because I, I, I think it is an interesting point that that professional is making about um, about 1% better not being realistic in a certain way in terms of just performance level, right? right. It's not like right. I am, if we want to use the UTR example, somebody's a f- uh, 5 UTR one day and does that mean they're 5.05 the next day and, you know, and, and then, con- you know, continue from there? Um, no, obviously not, right? With the, the knowing basic basic math you, you you understand that's doesn't happen exactly in that way however i would make the the argument that even on days where you're really not playing well on the practice court and on the match court there are certainly areas where you can improve and can you train that skill of figuring things out when things aren't going well 
of still managing to bring out a decent level of performance, a passable level of performance when you're not playing well, of continuing to find ways to put pressure on your opponents on those days where things aren't going well, on trying to identify what's going wrong and do I need to make adjustments? Do I need to watch the ball more? Do I need to move my feet more? What, what, what is going wrong? And I, I, this is something I've actually dealt with recently. Next, actually, Brian, we were talking about this before we, before we started today. Um, some people who are listening may, may know this, uh, but I recently moved out to Colorado, to Boulder, Colorado, and um, the altitude here is very different. It's about approximately a mile high in terms of the altitude, over 5,000 feet of altitude. And for anyone who's played in high altitudes before, and I've played here, I've played in Mexico City, um, which is a similar type of altitude, and I know there are other places around the world people might be you know, tuning in from. And high-altitude tennis is very different. Um, the ball tends to fly a lot more. So if you're not making adjustments, the ball will fly on you, and you will likely hit the ball long. Um, and that's, an, that's a definite adjustment. And I was recently playing and um, hadn't been playing as much uh, before that, so my consistency of play going into that was not – not at the level maybe where I would have wanted it to be. Um, and I was struggling. I was, I was having a really tough time making good contact with the ball, playing consistently. Um, and I had to go back to the basics. I had to go back to really watching the ball. I had to go back to making sure that my grip was in a place where I could generate enough topspin to adjust to the circumstances of playing in high altitudes. Um, I had to take a step back in order to increase my level of consistency on the court. Um, and, you know, I, I think in that way, going back to, to this portion of the conversation where we're thinking consistency of effort, consistency of habits, you know, trying to get that 1% better on that particular day, I think I, you know, by taking a step back, by really sticking to the fundamentals there, I think I, I was working on that skill of adjusting, that skill of, being able to figure things out on the court when things weren't going well. And, and it helped. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, that also sort of goes back to this idea of everything being practiced, right? Where on that day where things aren't going well, it's very easy to just say, you know what, this isn't my day, wasn't feeling the ball well, sort of throw in the towel and, and a lot of players would tank or um, look for an excuse. Maybe it's, maybe it's the strings, right? Maybe it's my strings, maybe it's my racket, uh, whatever it is. But can we get to a point where instead we're taking responsibility, um, we're taking ownership over it, and trying to make an adjustment, trying to figure things out, and that being a skill. Um, it reminds me actually of, a, of an article that we talked about um, with our last episode, where we were talking about Rafael Nadal, and or maybe it was a few episodes ago uh, previously, but we were talking about Rafael Nadal, and when he's not playing well, and he talks about he doesn't look at the strings, he doesn't look at the racket, he doesn't look for an excuse, he's not looking up to his box and talking to his coach or um, his wife or you know the, the other people on his team that are up there in his box looking for an excuse, pointing fingers. He looks at himself and tries to say, okay, what do I need to change? What's happening out there? Um, it reminds me of, you know, Brad Gilbert talks about in Winning Ugly. Who's doing what to who? 
why is the score the way it is? Why, you know, what are the dynamics of what's actually happening out there? And then do I need to make an adjustment? Do I need to change, you know, and, and, and hit with a little bit more spin, make sure I'm brushing up on the ball, which is something I needed to make sure I was doing playing in high altitudes when I wasn't used to it. Do I need to make sure I'm moving my feet more and set myself up for each shot? Do I need to make sure I'm really watching the ball, which is something I think a lot of tennis players take for granted. Oh, of course I'm watching the ball. But when we really try to watch the ball to our strings, we start to notice the difference that it makes. So, um, no, I, th I, I think that there's a lot to this point, and I think that we want to get to a point as tennis players where we're consciously trying to think of everything as practice. Every, every time we're out there, whether we're losing 6-0, 5-0, whether we're struggling, whether we're not playing well on a particular day, whether things are going really well and things feel really easy on that particular day, it is an opportunity to improve. It is an opportunity to improve in some aspect of our game if viewed in the right way, if viewed with intention, if that is the goal to try to get a bit better at some area of your game when you're out there. And I think in order for you to do that the other day, it was about you being consistent in your mental and emotional performance. If you had been judging yourself the entire time and your emotions were going up and down, you would likely have not been able to make those adjustments, that change in perspective, because you know your, your emotional control would have been all over the place rather than being more at a steady state and, and approaching it almost from a perspective of curiosity and what's going on here. Um, it always makes me think when we talk about not performing well physically, but able to maintain our mental and emotional game, the, the Jack Nicholas quote about um, the art of playing badly well. And in some ways, you, you kind of got through it. You're, you weren't really very used to the altitude. Things weren't going exactly the way you wanted to, but you took control of the situation and, and, and you did the best you could in that, in that period of time. But if you had also lost your mental and emotional game and let those, the performance of that, go off the rails, then it would have ended up being uh, probably a very non-productive day and it wouldn't have felt nearly as good uh, coming off the court, like you probably would have felt like I didn't accomplish anything, just had a bad day, et cetera, like you, you were saying. So I think identifying these things and understanding that being consistent mentally and emotionally is more within your control than perhaps you realize and has to be approached in that way in order for you to, to compete at your best. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think it would have been easy for me to do that. And I could think of times in my past where things weren't going well and rather than really digging in, rather than finding some area where I could make an adjustment or even try to think about what that adjustment would have been, I threw in the towel or I just said, you know what, it's not my day. I'm rusty. I haven't played in a long time. Therefore, I'm not, not going to play well today. And, and, and almost like accepting that rather than being a little bit more analytical and trying to think, okay, why, you know, why am I spraying balls all over the court? Why am I hitting long? Oh, I'm for, I forgot that, I, that tennis at high altitudes is quite different. Okay. Maybe I need to change some things. Maybe I should try to assume that by playing the same exact way that I normally play, that that's going to work. And I can take a step back and I can think, okay, let's try to, 
let's try to make some balls in the court. And what does that need to look like? Okay, maybe I need to make sure I'm getting under the ball with 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 my racket and, and really being intentional about my take back and, and how I make contact with the ball. Okay, maybe that means I need to watch the ball a little bit. Maybe I need to really make sure that my grip is semi-western, which is where I, you know, how I like to hit my forehand and that it hasn't slipped over a little bit um, where, you know, I find it a little bit tougher to generate uh, spin on the forehand side. So I think, you know, by really making sure that we're, we're aware of the situation and aware of the different factors of the environment, of the altitude, am I playing indoors or outdoors? What is my opponent doing? Is this a faster court or a slower court, which is something I don't think I've always been as aware of as a tennis player, but I think some players are more, um, more or less aware of that. Um, you know, because it, it's very easy to just say, oh, it wasn't my day, things weren't going well. But can I really try to figure out what's happening out there? And then, you know, is it something I'm doing? Is, you know, that, that I need to change? Um, or, you know, what needs to be adjusted? Do I just need to give myself more time and find my rhythm? You know, what is it? Um, but I think when, as you said, Brian, if we're emotionally not in the, if, you know, if I'm yelling at myself because I'm playing so inconsistently, if I'm looking for excuses and saying, oh, it just must be my strings. If it's something, if I'm, you know, if I'm checked out emotionally, I don't even give myself a chance to turn things around in that moment. Right, right. So overall, I mean, a consistency, I think, is just such a great topic, whether we're applying it to our performance level, to our habits level, to what we're doing off the court, to what we're doing mentally and emotionally. There's a lot to explore there for listeners. And so hopefully, you know, we've touched on some um, topics or, you know, points here that resonate with all of you that you can then look to bring to your own training and to your own performances. So, um Thank you all for listening. We, of course, appreciate that. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have the opportunity, please rate and review the podcast so others can find the show. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tennisiq slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.